Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another glorious episode of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I'm your host, Junkie Turdman. Chris is on vacation this week, so I'll be flying solo, but we have a barn burner of an episode for you. This is number 91. Hang on to your seats. Welcome to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, your source for motorcycles, mayhem, and misinformation. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. Kangaroo is just leaping down the street every day. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I don't want to be an asshole. You're 41 and started a race career. My skin met the asshole. But these new new ways kit my... I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded slob. I have to stop talking shit. All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever the two with cocaine. All right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Oh, yeah, you have any cool sign-ups? I don't have any cool sign-ups. Perfect. That's your sign-up. <laughs> go, Brian Viffer, go! Hey. That was Bri Viffer on there saying all chaps are assless, and he was 100% correct. If you want an entertaining uh, show to listen to talking about assless chaps, uh, you can go check out Motorcycle Man. This week, there, the episode was called something like Big Ass Riding Sweats? I want to say something like that. They talk about chaps in there, and uh, Bri Viffer and I had a good talk about uh, riding an assless chaps way back in episode 40-something. And, uh, yeah, that was a pretty awesome, <laughs> I don't know, that was just rad hearing about him riding his, in his assless chaps, uh, episode 34. So a little bit before 40. Uh, yeah, we talked about his riding apparel and, uh, come to find out he's a lot like me where he doesn't really care what he looks like as long as the apparel gets the job done. So, Hey everybody, let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on this week in motorcycling. And now the cheers. That was ridiculous. Ridiculously stupid. I wanted to fix that intro. But thank you. <laughs> Thanks, crowd. Uh, hey, so this week, I just wanted to say, uh, first off, thank you for Dharma. Uh, listening in India for us, checking out the cast status, and not the cast, uh, C-A-S-T-E, the podcast status. Um, I you know, had some behind-the-scenes talk with another podcast, and they were telling me about you know, certain restrictions that may apply in other countries. I didn't think about that when I was first starting out the show. And uh, so, yeah, something you need to pay attention to. If you are going to be listening in another country, you may not be able to get me there. But uh, apparently on Sound- the SoundCloud app, you can. So, you know, depending on how you listen to the show, uh, that could be important. We are going to update that. Uh, secondly, man, this week... So many crazy things and one sad thing. Um, Where do I start? Barry Boone. If you have been a fan of flat track for, you know, gosh, the last, you know, five or so years, um, you'll know who Barry Boone is. He's been the announcer uh, when it was the AMA series up until AFT took it over this year. He's been at a few events this year. He still announces flat track all over the country. 
he passed away on Monday, surprisingly, after having uh, had Buzz Cantor from uh, American Iron Magazine on his last show. He was not only a, motor- a third-generation motorcycle enthusiast, uh, he was an ambassador for motorcycling. He had a podcast called Talking Motorcycles with Barry Boone. Um, he had, gosh, like I said, a rich announcing history with the AMA, a- announcing uh, flat track and doing all the podium interviews until this season when Bubba Schobert and took over and they kind of redid it. Uh, Barry Boone was actually the face of flat track. Um, him and Scotty Dubler did numerous, uh, you know, like, oh, I think they listed over a hundred in his little bio, uh, AMA races that he has called. Um, so you do the math on that. Usually there's anywhere between, I want to say like 10 and 15 races a year. So, you know, a hundred divided by, you know, 10 or 15, you can tell it, you can see he's been doing this for, for quite a long time. Uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, just my prayers go out to his family. Um, and gosh, the lives of everyone that he's touched, he's touched everyone, uh, small and large in the flat track community from the beginner to the retired, you know, legend and so barry boone himself a legend in motorcycle podcasting and flat track history i just wanted to uh you know gosh acknowledge the loss of a true hero of the sport um so sorry for the microphone noise i'm actually doing a handheld tonight guys and god i am tired dude this week at work has been nuts i've been uh Gosh, coming away every night, just like wanting to pass out at like, I don't know, nine o'clock. And I usually don't go to bed till like midnight. Um, plus, I crushed a Blue Moon Mango Wheat uh, beer earlier and uh, yeah, crafted with wheat and mango. So that's probably making me a little bit tired. Um, all you kids out there, I hope you know that alcohol depresses your nervous system and your immune system and probably a bunch of other systems. Your system so don't do it down. if you want to stay awake. Drink coffee. Uh, but yeah, so you're going to hear some mic noises tonight as I grip this baby. Uh, listen to this. This is crazy. Chris is on vacation this week, like I said, but uh, I'm still down in my living room doing the podcast where we normally do it. I have a full-on recording studio upstairs, and uh, this is just where we record, so it is. I feel at home now. So I'm down here recording um, downstairs in my house, like not in the studio, uh, and not in my garage studio either. So there you go, and not in the dumpster studio. I make it sound like I have so many studios. Um, it's really just places where I stand with the microphone. I kind of live in a dumb, kind of like a trash panda. A bald trash panda. Whoa, how quickly the show derails without a co-host here to keep me in check. Hey, folks. So, uh, yeah, I just want to uh, acknowledge the fact that we have something else special this week, and that is the word of the week. I uh, reached out to you guys on the social medias and... We got tons of responses from Facebook and from Instagram, and I'm just going to go ahead and flip through. I don't even know what some of these words mean, but I'm going to go ahead and flip through at random and uh, see exactly what word pops up. All right, we got it. 
We got the word. It was a toss-up between the word pumpkin sent in to us by Chloe F4I, which you may know as Amber Mole. She was on a show recently, just a few uh, couple months ago, actually. Word pumpkin. And the word sent in by uh, Dharma. Hey, man, we already mentioned you once. What are you trying to do? Take over the show? <laughs> All right, damn it. Quit fooling around. The word is proprioception. Do you know what that means? I'll tell you right after this break. Hey, I was just over at dailybikers.com and uh, checking out all the stuff that Dan has for sale. But I think I've told you before, Daily Bikers, it's a site by a biker for bikers. Not only is there really cool merch, but there's awesome ride stories, gear reviews, and whatnot. Uh, Dan just posted up an article recently about turning 45, the big four or five. Uh, he only looks like he's about 25, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think riding motorcycles has helped him stay young mentally and physically. And if you go over to dailybikers.com you can read out all about that uh another thing is uh co-host chris checked out daily bikers and was amazed by the fact that dan draws all this stuff by hand and i was just perusing the store there is so much stuff up there and i feel like um I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like the prices have gone down on a lot of this stuff. And he used to have some really nice prints uh, available for your home or office. But now you can even download one of his, uh, you know, his quick print digital download things and color it in yourself. And that's an even more economical uh, choice than to, than to order an already done print. I suggest you do both because the prints are awesome. And yeah, you can customize your own drawing, but, you know, the, the, uh, the finish product is, is super nice but yeah go check out dailybikers.com or dailybikerstore.com and uh yeah see what you can find yeah man if you don't go check out some of daily bikers swag you're a daily dirt bag that's what you are so hey welcome back and let me tell you exactly what this word sent in by Dharma Teja means, I'm sorry, it's probably Teja. I'm pronouncing it like the Spanish. Uh, so, yeah, this word is proprioception. <laughs> and basically, it means uh, the the perception of one's um, own movement and spatial orientation, like the unconscious perception of that, uh, arising from stimuli within the body itself. And this definition that I'm looking at from dictionary.com says, in humans, these uh, stimuli are detected by nerves within the body itself, as well by semicircular canals in the inner ear. Do you know I had semicircular? I have fully circular canals in my inner ear. That's why I do donuts all day long. Hey, um, basically one definition that I read, again, I had to look, I looked this up like three times just to verify that it's uh, not a fake word. And uh, so basically what one definition said, um, the way it's used in 
you know, layman terms is like, you know, basically the movements of your, your joints or your nerves or, you know, your muscles and your body knows that it's moving. It's an unconscious acknowledgement of the movement of those things. Um, like basically, you know, your arm is moving without having to look because your nerves and your joints and your muscles register it and send those, uh, inputs to your brain that says, Hey, that thing is moving up or down. You know, I guess if you have cerebral palsy, um, your shit's going whack. You like you could beat yourself up, you know, and not even be knowing it. So I guess eh, with people in, with cerebral palsy, you don't really have any. Um, I don't know. It's not like you don't have any, but the like the concept of proprioception <laughs> is there, but it doesn't quite register in your. Um, within your nervous system or something like that. So very interesting, my good friend. Uh, maybe this is, you know, this is a little better than I thought because maybe this could make for a really good topic on the show. How the hell do you know where you're moving in time and space on your motorcycle when you're leaned over and you're like at that 60 degree bank angle and you feel like you're going to fall off, but you could always push a little further? Maybe that's... um proprioception at work kind of telling you hey don't lean any further or or i know you're here and i'm coming you know i don't know i'm gonna look into this thank you dharma for uh submitting this word this is probably not gonna get used a lot on tonight's show what am i talking about i've already said it four times um but yeah this is an interesting thing to think about as a writer I am always looking for like sort of creative and off the wall concepts and I've done stuff as far as like lactobacillus making you a more confident writer and weird stuff like that. And and this, uh, this, what would you define this as? This is sort of like a, a perception, I guess, um, of movement. This could be something interesting to study and how it relates to uh, like next level writers versus your basic bitch writers and such basic Dude riders, like, totally. All right, hey, listen up. So before this show goes completely off the rails and totally nuts, uh, I want to get into the first topic of the show. The first topic this week is going to focus on uh, top-of-the-line bikes. Why do we need top-of-the-line bikes? And it's an interesting concept that got uh, brought up in a discussion Um you know, this goes way back. I mean, I, over the last couple of years, I've always asked, what uh, does it take to create a motorcycle? What does it take to market a motorcycle? Um, we've kind of stopped short at what does it take to build a motorcycle? Because it takes a lot of stuff for that, a lot of resources and whatnot. But why are what's offered important? And, you know, we got all jazzed up last year, um, Finding out that, you know, a lot of people were going small this year and, uh, the, the, you know, a lot of smaller uh, bikes were coming out in the marketplace and also learning that huge, uh, for whatever reason, you know, bigger bikes, because things are becoming more efficient and whatnot, bigger bikes are continuing to uh, please consumers and stuff like that. So um, it's like one of those things where in the car industry, sometimes, you know, we had this SUV phase that got bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, then gas prices hit like $5 a gallon. That's when scooter sales and motorcycle sales really went up. And now 
we're back to, hey, we don't we don't make an SUV or we make like a crossover SUV. You know, like in the car market, that thing, um, it's just kind of weird how things trend, I guess. And so in the bike market, uh, why don't we see like, you know, um, with the economy having like fell apart, you know, about 10 years ago, why didn't we see all of a sudden nothing but small bikes come out or affordable bikes? Why are there still those top dollar bikes? And when we're talking about top dollar, we're talking about stuff like last week's bike, the gold wing, which we spotlighted. We didn't really say, uh, you know, I kind of hinted at what they cost back in, uh, you know, the seventies and, and it was like 12,000 bucks or something like that. But uh, nowadays, the Goldwing, uh, the base model is around $24,000, and the top of the line is $28,000. So we're talking about $30,000, and you could buy a couple of really crappy cars for $30,000. Used cars, probably, because even new cars, crappy ones are like $20,000. But still, you can get some crummy cars, unless you're getting one of those um, electric ones that that I mentioned a couple weeks ago from China that are like $7,000 for an electric vehicle. So why are we still having these like top of the line bikes that, you know, for 28 grand, you could buy, I I don't know, like four or five Groms for that. You could buy, um, you know, five Rebels or four Rebels for that much, you know, um, Let's move up into the like the cruisers, you know what I mean? Even the shadows and state lines and stuff, they don't even reach, you know, close to 28 grand fully decked out. And so, you know, think of the Harley Davidsons. Everyone always talks about how expensive they are and how doctors and lawyers and dentists can only afford that stuff. And maybe that's true. Doctors, lawyers, um, drug dealers, people that make a lot of money um, and have a lot of disposable income afford that stuff. And why are those bikes important? And, you know, when you're thinking about top of the line bikes, let's talk about uh, model releases to begin with. Um, So we all know the Goldwing is coming out new, redesigned at least for 2018. Now, Honda has already released all of its uh, motocross bikes for 2018, and that's pretty much because the uh, 2018-17-18 season has pretty much started and ended, I guess. And so all that stuff kicked off early. So the only other street bike besides the Grom, I believe, is uh, the Goldwing that they've said that they are, you know, teasing specifically for 2018, and we're going to have to guess on the rest of them. Uh, That's not entirely true. The CB600 or the CB650 um, is one. But, I mean, let's look. We have the Tiny Bike, the Midway, and then their Goliath. Uh, Another one that has been announced and they've been showing them off is the Yamaha, the, uh, what's it called? The, um, The Star Venture, and now the Star Eluder. And except for like the, uh, like the XT250 and the TW200 or something like that, which are their smaller end economical bikes, boom, they're talking about releasing their big gigantic tour models. And another one uh, that uh, skipped 2017, I guess, but it is uh, supposed supposed to be making like a redesigned comeback or like an upgraded comeback for 2018. BMW has announced they are going to be releasing the um, GT, the K1600 GT uh, L exclusive. You know what I mean? So all these all these brands are are releasing their top of the line bikes. You know the 20, I don't know 28 thousand somewhere around their bikes 
Actually, if you look at the uh, the BMW GTL exclusive, it's uh, like thirty thousand, like thirty thousand three hundred, something like that. Where if you're looking at the top of the line Harley Davidson, which is technically the ultra limited, you're looking around you know twenty six three. So you know quite a four thousand dollar jump for BMW. Of course, you're getting a lot of different type of stuff. Um, so let you know these big bikes. That's you know that's over more than base model car price okay so we're talking uh you know these these high high price bikes and that's not talking cvos that's not talking some of the crazy stuff that you can do um and that's not talking accessorize that's that's base model of the top stuff and then throw on parts and accessories after that and we're easily you know capping thirty thousand bucks so then you know harley davidson street for instance um you know, we, we talk, we can talk about those that what a difference it is from, you know, uh, a 20 some odd thousand or close to $30,000 out the door bike, uh, to a $7,000 bike or, you know, a six, eight or whatever the, the streets are also Honda, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, going down to, like I said, the rebels, even the, the CB 600s, stuff like that. There's this huge, huge disparity between the top of the line stuff and the middle of the line stuff. And just like with the, the reason these top of the line bikes matter to these companies and the reason that we need doctors, lawyers and drug dealers and all these guys to buy this stuff is because when you think about it, what is a company? What would a company make? A company would be like Kimco or or Royal Enfield if it costs them as much to make the bike as it did to sell it. And if you go and listen to um, stuff about used car dealerships or uh, car dealerships in general, a lot of the times the price that they're giving you out the door when you sit there and haggle and bargain really is the bottom bottom of the line of what they can sell that to you for. We won't get into that because we could totally rabbit hole down that. But the price difference and disparity, the same reason that you need people to buy uh, that you need car manufacturers to offer these top-of-the-line stuff or like a brand like Lexus and Toyota where they're the same parent company, but you have this like crazy expensive luxury brand versus like the bargain brand, it kind of boils down to um, profit margin. And the profit margin, if you figure that a bike, if you make, let's say you can make a bike for half of what you sell it for, which is not true, um, and and I guess it depends on how many uh how many units you sell, maybe that's true, but I, I guarantee you that it probably costs a lot more to make a bike than what you think versus like what you actually pay for it. And what goes into that bike, meaning like the, uh, the research and development, the certification, the crash testing, the paying the people at the factory to make it, paying to ship it, paying tariffs, all that stuff that goes to the wonderful world behind the scenes of having a motorcycle. If you were able to make it for half of what it costs, the, uh, therefore, doesn't it make sense that these higher price bikes that are, you know, if you're talking about a $5,000 bike you're, and you're only making 2500 bucks off of it, if that, you know what I mean? If that's true and, you know, that's not taking into uh, account sales or like rebates or marking them down because it, now they're the next, the last year's model. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of headaches that go into running a successful company and being able to make actual money at it. Right. Um, and the the reason that we need these big giant top of the line 
things and we need all the people that buy them is because of that profit margin there. And so if you could sell a $30,000 bike and it only cost you 15000 to make, the more you can sell something for and the cheaper you can make it for, even if it is 50%, it stands to reason that the more money you're going to make and the more you can reinvest back into the company, obviously, I don't think Harley-Davidson sells as many CVOs as they do Sportster 883s or, you know, soft tails and stuff like that. So you also got to look at the middle of the road and look at your bread and butter and realize that you're going to be trying to sell a lot of units of something, but you're still going to have those top of the line bikes with bigger profit margins that goes back and it basically subsidizes the rest of your crappy sales. Now, you know, the Volkswagen Beetle is a wonderful example of selling like bajillions and bajillions of cars. And I think they're one of, I think they got knocked out now, but they were one of the most sold vehicles in history. Um, and with like the most units gone out of the factory on the actual road, um, and possibly still, um, they were able to make that car cheap. I think it was 6,000 bucks brand new back in the seventies, which sounds cheap now, but back then that was still like 18, 20,000 bucks, uh, with inflation. But you're talking about a four, five, six thousand dollar car, but they sold a bajillion of them. You know what I mean? And so that's where they made up their profit margins. And it took years, you know, from like the 40s all the way till uh, 2004 when they shut down the plant in Pueblo. So you're looking at the same sort of thing. Unless Harley were to sell or unless Honda were to sell a quadrillion of their mid-range bikes, then we're looking at like cheap, affordable stuff that everyone can afford and it makes sense. And that's why some brands you'll see don't make big old cruisers. A lot of the brands in India and stuff that uh, like I think Royal Enfield and Hero and these big, huge companies that we don't have here, but they sell like more. They outsell every other uh, motorcycle company around those guys. The reason that they are making so much and selling so much is they s- focus on a specific market and that market can only afford that where you have other people like Harley and Triumph and Indian and all these guys offering up these kind of base model stuff, but kind of these bigger bikes. And it's just like with paying taxes or anything else in in, uh, most countries, not communist countries, but a lot of other capitalist or free market countries where you have the rich, they pay more taxes because they make more. It's a percentage wise. They're basically, you know, if you were taxed at 50%, it's that profit margin thing that we're talking about with bigger bikes. You make $100,000, so you pay $50,000 in taxes, where if you make $25,000, you only pay like $13,500 in taxes, right? So we need the same reason society needs billionaires and millionaires in order to kind of share the wealth via the tax levels. We we need these big old bikes in order to kind of subsidize cheaper bikes for the rest of us. And in that way, it, it makes sense, you know, that you have like all these crazy huge bikes that uh, you and I maybe can't afford, but that somebody can. And that makes it uh, available for for people, other people to have bikes that, um, you know, are cheap and able to be pumped out because the company can afford to invest in those even if they're losing on them. You know, if their profit margins are terrible, they can still uh, ramp up and make some dough selling those and provide 
affordable transportation to the rest of us or you know maybe you don't want a cbo like if you're we're talking about the hooligan stuff you know now chris is co-hosting and, and we're always talking about guys with sporties doing their fun thing and even guys on dinas and you can't take a cbo out and seriously hooligan it a it why would you spend fifty thousand dollars just go buy a, a flat track indian for fifty thousand bucks and race that you know try to get your card so on one hand it got me thinking about motorcycles in general kind of the profit margins needing to be there in order for that company to be successful. We all want to see our brand to make it, but we also want to be able to afford their dang bikes. And so that's important to have top of the line stuff. Got me thinking about gear, uh, premium clothing, Roland Sands design jackets. I can't afford a thousand dollar RSD jacket. Uh, I can't afford, uh, you know, Dainese track suits. I got to go with like Scorpion or built or something like that. But RSD also offers cheaper options, and I'm sure Dainese does too, and I'm sure Built has has top-of-the-line stuff and crappy stuff. The same with Harbor Freight. They offer some really expensive stuff, and it's because it's actually worth it. It's the reason that you can buy a welder from them for 700 bucks and it actually works versus a welder that's, you know, $99 and you can, you can make stuff hold with it, you know? So it's the profit margins equals affordability for the rest of us. And it got me thinking about clothing. It got me thinking about helmets. It got me thinking about, uh, even services. <laughs> Oddly enough, it got me thinking about show sponsors and, and maybe next year, if we start to solicit sponsorship, it got me thinking about these things. Like my wife does this. She subscribes to like a book club where they send her three books. And it's like, you know, all these clothing companies that send you, she doesn't do this anymore. Cause they, they eventually it, kind of the BS kind of caught up with with the actuality of the situation where you subscribe to something like, I don't know, something that sound a company that sounds like Blob Gloff. And they send you clothes based on what you tell them. You know, there's all sorts of like shaving services. That's, that's like the whole new thing. Amazon kind of changed the way the world works. And they are minimizing the profit margins for a lot of companies in a way. And everything's coming out of a box nowadays. This is a little bit of a segue and, you know, a different idea here, but you know, same, same train of thought. So stick with me on this, but the subscription services that cost you like, I don't know, $150 a month to get clothes sent to you. And then you only, you only pay what you keep, you know, pay for what you keep. And it's like, dude, I don't even spend $150 on clothes a month. And then I'm listening to these other podcasts where these guys get all these like grooming products sent to them. And like their sponsors are get people like that, that send them clothes. And they're like, yeah, you know, when we're on set, cause it's like all actors and comedians now making money on podcasts. When we're on set and you have a dresser come over to you and they're giving you makeup or they're putting clothes on you and your personal stylist is so nice. So why don't you get your personal stylist? And it's like, listen, dude, a, I don't spend as much a month on clothing as a sp- subscription service costs. Hell, probably every six months, you know, if I get a pair of ho- hole in my pair of jeans, I go out and buy a new pair. So it, depending on how often I wear them, it could be like five years that I have these things. So that sort of stuff doesn't make sense to me. And like I said, the Amazon thing is kind of, it makes stuff affordable and buyable, which is great. But at the same time, it discourages crazy profit margins, I guess. And it discourages people from going out and experiencing thing in the real world. And 
Eh, I, I like to dress myself. I don't like other people to pick out what will look good in my beard or what will look good in my hair or what makeup's going to look good on me or fingernail polish or what uh, clothes I like. You know, I want to go out and pick that crap. A, I want to go get it from the events that I attend. B, I want to get it from the pl- places places that I patronize, like racetracks, race events, stuff like that, to give them money and make sure they're doing stuff like Biltwell with their hurricane relief. You know, you buy their trucker hats. I tried to buy two of them. But my point being, you know, you actually go out and engage with this stuff. And in my opinion, like everybody wins on that side. But it's a little bit of a tangent from the importance of, uh, you know, higher end stuff. But I guess it kind of wraps around full circle when you think about clothing, products, stuff like that. You go out there, you decide what you need. You decide what you can afford and what you can buy. Let the lawyers and the hipsters and whoever's making, you know, young Silicon Valley designers that are 19 years old and can afford a brand new uh, R9T scrambler and the full Roland Sands get up for a thousand bucks or the Icon 1000 gear, you know, the whole gear up, you know, for, you know, spend, end up spending $25,000 to get on the road. And then you and I go buy our bikes off Craigslist or something or off eBay, get some cheap used shit or get some, you know, budget stuff that actually still works, even though it's the price point meets our needs. And we all live happier, right? And it's all because of the fact that there is high end stuff. There is low end stuff. Sometimes you have to meet in the middle. And to do that, you have to have both ends of the spectrum. So that is my first segment. Let's uh, take a quick break and we'll get back at you in a second. Hey, everybody. While we take a minute to review our notes and look over some stuff, I'd like to remind you, if you've got the time, please leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps the show get discovered and it helps us, you know, get a little bit better, know what you guys are looking for and whatnot. And a ton of show ideas have been uh, popping in. That's great. Submit anything you have to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on uh, the Instagrams at uh, creativewritingpodcast or Twitter at creative underscore writer. And you could always leave us a message on the Facebook page. Another reminder is that our Halloween episode, Spooky Spokes, is coming up. Really, without you guys, it's sort of like Solstice Slam. If there are no cool stories, then uh, there will be no cool episode. So please submit your stories uh, for Spooky Spokes to the same email address, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com by October 26th so that we can get them all edited and thrown into the show and hopefully hear some really cool stuff. Right? I think that's about all the blab and I got. We'll probably remind you again at the end of the show. Hey, everybody, let's get back to the show. How you doing? Hope that little break gave you some time to get a sip of water. Sure did for me. My cup's empty. Here, you go get me a drink of water. <laughs> no, you just I'm just kidding. You just sit back and relax and listen to this next segment. 
uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of flesh out the you know do something useful back in the past people were saying oh your show I learned something from it about tires about uh, chains about suspensions I don't know if I ever made it up to the handlebars but I intended to go from the ground up and talk about like safety and adjustments and all this stuff and, and I actually used to talk about real stuff before I just started ranting uh, ranting and racing you know the R&Rs of motorcycling so I know that in the past I covered some of this stuff, but I don't think I ever did like a deep dive on uh, motorcycling in general and the brands and all that fun stuff. So I thought I'd kind of turn it around today and do like a fun thing on the history of the meaning of your logo. So starting off with, I just picked 10 random logos, uh, 10 random marks that I like, marquees, marks, whatever you would like to call them. And I thought I would uh, do like a little deep dive on the emblems and what they mean, what they signify, stuff that you look at and you probably take for granted. You don't even know. What the hell? Why is this thing on there? And the first one we're going to jump into is Honda. Now, Honda started in uh, 1947 uh, making 43,000 cc motorcycles. Um, if you take all the motorcycles they made that year and divide them by the square root of pi times two, it comes out to 43,000. I didn't mean that that was the displacement of the vehicle. Uh, but anyway, yeah, in 47, they sure as hell, uh, the, the Honda emblem, I don't even know what it was. It looked like a a blue paint blob or something. I can't, it's hard to describe. Um, but they took, uh, they took inspiration from Greek and ancient, like, you know, sort of, uh, art, which gosh, everybody has everybody in this world. Kind of, even the Romans looked back to the Greeks for inspiration and, uh, kind of idolization and beauty. You know what I mean? It seems that in this world, two things are certain taxes and the Greeks were into beauty, and people uh, find inspiration from those two things still today. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, so anyway, the uh, Honda logo, uh, today you may know it as the wing logo. Sometimes you'll see the red wing, sometimes, uh, depending on if you're looking at a race bike or like a vintage bike or something like that. But uh, 47, they went with the, the blobby looking thing, and the, even the font was terrible. It's like some of that crazy graffiti or like black Norwegian metal bands where you can't even tell, their, you know their letters, but you don't know what the hell it says. Uh, so in the next year in 48, they said, hey, we're, we're getting, uh, they really like Nike, and if Nike, I forget what the Greek name for Nike was, but it was like Nike Akamen or something like that. I was reading this article about how they uh, derived inspiration from Nike, and if you know, Nike had, uh, he was the Greek god with wings on his hat and on his ankles, very fast guy. He represented, uh, you know, being fast, and he represented um, kind of being victorious in the first um, marathons of the first Olympics uh, held there on Mount Olympus in Greece. And uh, basically later, the Romans, who stole a lot of stuff from Greek, Greece and Greek, um, they basically uh, liked that as well. And Victoria, Victoria, um, I think victory is where, you know, if your name is Victoria, your your name means victory or victorious, right? And Victoria was um, 
you know, sculpted as this woman with beautiful feathers. She also represented victory. Um, thus the name Victoria, meaning victory in, in Latin. And so they said, you know, Nike, Victoria, they all kind of symbolize the same thing. They symbolize beauty. They symbolize, um, you know, uh, victory and being fast and like, you know, this and that. And they all have wings. And so from 48, they had like a kind of like Victoria on their Honda logo with her wings stretched back and her big old Greek booty out there, you know, and it was really kind of a cool, uh, not quite art deco, but uh, in 53, they switched, they made this bike called the Bentley, which I think meant convenient or something. If, if my history, what I read was right. Um, and it looked more like Nike's mask where it kind of looked, it had two wings to it. And it kind of looked like the, the headpiece that Nike would have wore, uh, in 68, they went back to the stretched wing and it had HM underneath for, uh, Harry Michaels, I think that was their like premier rider. Maybe it stood for Honda Motorcycles. Yeah, that's probably what it stood for. But yeah, they had this little oval with this long, elongated wing. And um, it looked, I mean, the wing was pretty delicate looking. It was long and kind of detailed. Uh, and they had a couple versions of it. One with the HM and a red circle. One, or a red uh you know, oval around it, one with just the HM, and that one looked like a little bit more delicate. Then they had like a little bit more boxy looking one that was kind of more, you know, instead of looking like a literal wing with the HM underneath it, it looked like a, a graphic designer did it. Blam, they got the HM there, they got the wing, um, and they used that for quite a while. And now, um, I think um, you can still see that on John McGinnis, they have the HM or the Honda like HRC Honda Racing Corporation or something like that underneath the kind of an older style looking wing. Uh, in the 70s, they moved to the gold wing. Honda's in gold. The wing is in gold. And it's definitely, that's one of their more iconic um, wings. The wing is still organic looking. It doesn't look too, uh, I don't know, what do you want to say, um, like Art Deco, we it still looks like a wing. Uh, Eighty five rolls around, and I remember these wings being on quads and dirt bikes and all this stuff. And I guess it's uh, I'm, you know forty seven to eighty five. That wouldn't have been like some sort of anniversary, but uh, for whatever reason, the wing was red, white, and blue. Do you guys remember this one? It looked like the gold wing from the years before, but uh, now it's red, white, and blue. They carried that for a long time, as far as I can remember. The gold wings and the red, white, and blue wings. I remember being on all the bikes from when I was a kid. And then in 88, they went to the red, kind of angular Art Deco one. Red Honda wing. And now, on a lot of their bikes, you'll see a circle with a wing in it. And it's silver, and that's like on some of the dual clutch transmission bikes. A lot of the bikes nowadays still have the wing like that's kind of been around since the eighties. It's like an angular looking. Um, it's not that organic kind of cool old wing that really has feathers. It's like a more, um, angular, uh, designed, you know, sort of looking wing. And it all came from being inspired from, uh, Nike or Vic and victory who were, you know, obviously, represented uh being number one in what you do 
Um, the second one we're going to talk about here is Yamaha. Uh, now, Yamaha has probably been around for a lot longer than you think. In contrast to Honda, which was started by uh, Sachiro Honda, um, you know, Honda was basically started after World War II as a way to uh, provide like cheap transportation to people who literally just had the shit bombed out of them a couple of years before. And, you know, bicycles and all that sort of stuff um, was what people were using. So he thought, I'm going to put a motor in this thing. And then, you know, next thing you know, Honda. Um, Yamaha, on the other hand, in 1898 is when their emblem started. And the history of Yamaha goes way back um, maybe even before the 1898s, but Yamaha manufactured um, musical instruments. And in 1898, they had a design um, that had like this Chinese phoenix holding a tuning fork. And that was the trademark. Uh, says Nippon Gaki Company LTD was established. And I'm guessing uh, that's who... Yamaha used to be. Yamaha started out as Nippon Gaki. Now we know Nippon Denso, Nippon blah, blah, blah. I think, I don't know what Nippon stands for, but, um, or what it um, translates into, but I'm guessing that uh, maybe it means company. I have zero ideas on that. I'm just guessing. But anyway, so from 1898 to 1916, uh, so in 1916, they trademarked their application for the tuning forks just without a phoenix. Now, the three tuning forks is because Honda, I mean, I'm sorry, Yamaha made organs and they made lots of cool um, pianos and stuff like that. They've been a music manufacturer, musical instrument manufacturer, a lot longer than they've been a uh, motorcycle manufacturer. <coughs> if you look at a lot of drums, a lot of keyboards, uh, that translates over to today. I mean, Yamaha makes some of the best music instruments ever, and now they make all sorts of stuff. They make brass. I mean, I and they make electronics and like like uh, interface, like music interface, recording. Like, dude, Yamaha makes so much stuff on top of their power sports, on top of their side by sides, on top of their watercraft and their outboard motors. Like Yamaha is really crazy. And basically the tuning forks represent three like core pillars of the business, which is technology, sales, and production. You overlap those, and you have three tuning forks. If you don't know what a tuning fork is, like if you're if you're only into motorcycles and you're not into music, uh, which is where Yamaha got its start. A tuning fork is something that will come in like different lengths and uh, it represents a different pitch of the, uh, you know, chromatic scale or a key. And you you tap it and those two forks vibrate. And when they vibrate, they, they uh, uh, make a pitch. And that pitch is like the key that you're trying to tune something to or like a string to. And um, you would like be tuning a piano, and if it's in a certain key, like most pianos are in C, I think. So, bing, and then you would go to middle C, and bling, and if it was like, bling, then you would tune it up a little bit till it was, bling, 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 and then you hit your fork, bing, ta-da! Now you tune the whole whole uh, key uh, keyboard to that. 
um, and all that great stuff. And if you've ever seen the inside of a hammer, it's like, or I mean, inside of a um, piano, it's almost as intricate as the inside of a motorcycle. It is nuts. And there's hammers and strings and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's almost like a guitar that you play with drumsticks. All right, moving on. Let's hit up BMW. You all like your R1200 GSs, don't you? Um, oh, you got an S1000RR. Nice, nice, man. Nice, Daniel. I knew you'd be the one to have an S1000RR. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, BMW. They basically have this little thing that they call a roundel, uh, which is uh, their little round um, emblem with the letters BMW in it. It almost always says that. I mean, I guess I've seen maybe a couple that's just the roundel, but it almost exclusively says um, uh, BMW above it right in the center. And when I first read about this, I read, oh, that's because BMW started out making planes and those represent like a turning propeller. And uh, so, yeah, that was cool. But uh, I read some other stuff later and I actually rechecked it when I was uh, thinking of, you know, the the idea for tonight's show. And it says the idea, I'll I'll read you something from BMWMCMag.com. The design was not in any way connected with aircraft engines or propellers. Uh, The idea was the blue and white had anything to do with spinning propellers. It comes from a 1929 advertisement which featured aircraft with the image of the roundel and the rotating propellers. Okay, that's a lot of rotating and propellers and roundels in that paragraph. Um, But what they're saying is that the idea came from this picture of this plane that they had and the plane was spinning and uh, basically if you had... um, laid a perfect circle around the propeller and wrote BMW in it, it looked just like the roundel. But uh, it really came from uh, the Bavarian flag. If you look at the Bavarian flag, it is blue and white checkers. And it's almost like you just cut um, a motif, which is like a repeating pattern. You cut a motif out of the Bavarian flag or a swath or something like that. And it's a little bit like houndstooth, like the houndstooth pattern. You see a little houndstooth and then you see that on a uh, blanket or something. And you're like, oh, that's a houndstooth blanket. But you can just zoom in on like one uh, piece of the pattern and say that's a houndstooth pattern. Same thing with the BMW. It's It really is just a motif or a swath from the uh, Bavarian flag set into a circle. And only later, like after, uh, I forget what year it was, but uh, they really did, um, I forget who owned BMW, but they really did, uh, men- They were there was three companies that came together and one was a plane company named like, oh God, I'm going to mess this up, Bayerisch, Flugelfusenbager or something like that. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have any of this uh, in front of me. I'm going off memory. And uh, so there was already Bayerisch Motorwerken. Um, some dude named Rad, I think, or Rap. Yeah, I think his name was, last name was Rap. And then the Flugel something, something. So it was actually BFW. Um, so it must have been Bayerisch Flugelzeigenwerken. 
and Bayerish Motivirken, and then this other guy, Rap, I think his name was, um, they got together, they merged these three companies together, and they merged Bayerish uh, Flugelwagenvogel with Bayerish Motivirken, and they just decided instead of BFW, let's make it BMW, and that's how they got the name, and the Bavarian flag, because Bayerish was, uh, is means Bavaria, I guess, and that's like the common theme here and uh yeah so later uh after somebody said hey we made airplane uh motors the bearish flugel means like bavarian airplane works and um so apparently they kind of like shot the arrow and then drew the target around it saying that one it really didn't come from the uh basically from the uh, airplane spinning propellers they lied um, all right. Well, hey, you know, I had mentioned wings and I'd mentioned Diana and I'd mentioned all sorts of cool inspiration that people took from wings. And there are a lot of wing emblems out there. Uh, not just Honda used them. Um, also, uh, gosh, you know, BSA had a wing on that on the B. Um, Ducati used them, used some uh, wings in their emblems. Uh, gosh, if you've seen, uh, who am I thinking of? I keep saying um, but I don't mean um. I mean Moroguzzi. Gosh, I couldn't think of that. Uh, Moroguzzi had them, Matchless had them. Ducati had several different wing designs. We'll get into that in a little bit. And, you know, gosh, there was so many different people. Harley Davidson uses them on some of their stuff. Um, in later years, I don't know if Indian used them, but uh, they definitely the headdress kind of looks like a wing. So wings are pretty popular, and a lot of people use wings. And the next uh, mark is no exception. It's Moto Guzzi. Moto Guzzi has like this little flying eagle above the name Moto Guzzi. And uh, so basically, how did that come about? Well, the... Three guys, I guess, started Moto Guzzi, and their names were Carlo Guzzi, Giorgio Parodi, or Parodi, I don't know which which one it is, and a guy named a guy named Giovanni Rivelli. Now, Giovanni Rivelli died uh, while testing a new plane after World War II, and Carlo Guzzi had served with him, and I guess maybe Giorgio. Parodi served with them too in the Italian army. Uh, so the two buddies, you know, three buddies. Um, and then when they started the Moto Guzzi company in honor of their buddy um, who had died named Giovanni Ravelli, testing out a plane, they thought, you know what? Over a Moto Guzzi emblem, we're going to put an eagle f- flying and that's going to represent our, our buddy. So Carlo Guzzi and Giorgio Parodi are parody uh are just basically you know that's in memory of their friend um who who died passed away testing out a new plane after world war seven uh let's split the difference here and call it world war one um i think that's the truth that's a truthful answer all right let's move on to the next uh mark which is going to be sparkbrook I'm totally just kidding about that. It's a BSA. You may know BSA as the Birmingham Small Arms Company. Uh, BSA actually 
um, started making bicycles in like the 18, late 1800s, uh, probably the bone shakers that used to get meat off your bones. Um, now, Birmingham Small Arms used to have a three rifles uh, making like a crossing over each other, making like a little teepee. And that was on some of their motorcycles, I believe. Um, and then later when they started making, uh, you know, motorcycles, making them fast, like I said, the wings is basically what was like cool and in and represents victory, represents speed, represents flight, which is, you know, like I've said before, motorcycling is like the closest thing you can get to flying three feet off the ground. And so BSA, uh, some of their stuff had like a little BSA rifles, the Birmingham small arms rifles um, on the tanks with like a little clazone, I think they're called. That's like a little decoration that looks like, you know, the Virgin Mary should be standing in the middle of it. But instead, there are these three guns with bayonets. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, after that, the letters BSA with the wings on it came out. And uh, I think they did get into aviation um, probably, I'm guessing during like World War II, you know, everybody, everybody got into aviation then. Um, and so that's also why the wing may have been on the, uh, the B, but totally represented some speed and, uh, all that stuff. And I know for sure that, uh, BSA, some of their factories got bombed, um, during the war, which we'll see, you know, a lot of, a lot of these people were bombing each other. Um, and partially that's the reason why some places got motorcycles. It's because they needed uh, transportation after the wars. And some of them changed their logos after the wars because, um, what they represented, they didn't really want to represent guns on motorcycles anymore. So they changed them from rifles to, um, you know, the B and the S and the A. Although BSA made cars, they made guns, they made planes, I think. Um, don't don't quote me on the plane thing, but I do know that they had cars and for sure they made bikes. That's how they got their start. Um, some very, very beautiful motorcycles. Um, God, my, my buddy and I blew up his together. We were riding the Mods versus Rockers a few years ago and I don't think he's fixed it. A, because ain't got hashtag no time, and B, because where the hell are you going to get a part for a BSA, like a 1965 Gold Star, whatever the hell it is, uh, it's not like it's a Honda CB750, all right, or even a Honda, like, Nightwing or whatever the hell. Um, let's move to Kawasaki real quick. Now, Kawasaki, Kawasaki Heavy Industries, Kawasaki uh, Aircraft, like Kawasaki makes uh, a lot of stuff, but they just have a K. There is no real cool emblem for Kawasaki uh, that I can think of besides the K. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I've worked in the motorcycle industry for only 10 years, but I can't think of anything uh, Kawasaki that I've ever seen, even as an enthusiast before that, that didn't just have a K or say Kawasaki. Kawasaki started in 1878 uh, as a shipyard. That's where Kawasaki Heavy Industries and all the Kawasaki great stuff comes from. And to be honest, I, I've only ever seen a K on the Kawasaki's. Same as... The Suzuki's. I've only ever seen 
an S that looks like a you know heavy metal S um, for Suzuki. Never really have seen uh, any other stuff um, from them, and that's not. Uh, I didn't do research on Suzuki. I'm just telling you. Um, so let's move on from Kawasaki to the next one, which is going to be Ducati, everybody's favorite brand, Ducati. Uh, basically, Ducati. They started out also as a, oh, and also Suzuki and Kawasaki, they both got bombed to shit after World War II as well. And, uh, Changed their logos, changed things around, started making motorcycles, right? Am I right? Yes. Um, Ducati. Let's go to Ducati. Ducati started out making uh, radios in the 20s. They had a pretty bitchin' logo back then. It was two S's crossed above a thunderbolt, which the thunderbolt was the uh, symbol for electricity. I'm not 100% sure what the S's stood for. But I do know that they had them later on some of the motorcycles. Uh, I think it said SSR or something like that. Um, and basically, the Ducati uh, radio factory expanded from some town named like Via Guidati, Guidati, in the heart of Bologna to Borgo Panigale, which is where it still is. And of course, if you're a Ducati nerd or if you are a Ducati fanboy, Panigale, that's where it gets its name from. It's the town. Um, so yeah, they used that little uh, radio symbol from through the 20s uh, into the 30s. Um, and I think in the 30s, they might have changed the logo Um and I forget what they changed it to, but it, it, it stayed that same up to 1954. I think it might have been just the D, the big D. I 100% forget what the hell it was. Um, but I know that it stayed uh, unchanged until like the 50s or something like that. Um, so in the 40s, they, of course, they were bombed to shit. Um, and basically, you had to have the name of... Uh, your manufacturer on the fuel tanks or something like that. And that little SSR symbol they had was too small, so they changed it um, and and just said, like, Ducati. Uh, in the 50s, thanks to uh, the brilliant motorcycles engineered by Fabio Taglioni, they started to win a whole bunch of races, gaining world fame. Um, they, get, they got two new emblems. And these are the ones I very first saw on some crazy little Ducatis from the 60s, little single cylinder, like 125s or something. They were like the Aramaki looking Ducati, uh, you know, the Aramaki looking bikes, but they're Ducatis. They're Ducati Mechanica on the side, and they had two opposing wings. Another one was like that. Uh, the D, it was basically those two gold wings, but on one side it said D, and on the other side it was like a circle in the center with a laurel wreath, and um, apparently that started appearing in the 50s, late 50s on their racing and production motorcycles because of the victories they started to have in the 50s. I believe some of them at the Isle of Man, um, some of them at some other uh, famous world races that they were uh, having back then, you know, con mostly like endurance contests and stuff like that. But that D with the two gold wings or the D with the gold wings and the little wreath and the D in the middle. Those are super popular. 
um, and you'll see those on a lot of bikes from uh, the 50s on into the 60s. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of one online right now. Yep, that's it, the D with the laurel wreath. Uh, and it says Ducati Mechanica in the middle of it. There was another one right after the 60s, I want to say, that was a uh, found on all their scramblers. And I don't know if they put it on their new scramblers or not. Bad on me for not knowing. But people call it the Blackwing. And um, like I said, everybody's using wings. You know what I mean? Moto Guzzi did it. Moto Marini did it. BSA did it. Ducati did it. Um, and it had uh, some of them had eagles. Um, some of them had... Uh, just like the, the D with a wing on it, but some of them had this black wing that said Ducati. And like I said, that was like basically when they, um, had like the scrambler out. A lot of people in America were doing wings and wings just became like this symbol instead of victory, like it was way back in the forties, not became like the symbol of freedom. So either way, it was a win-win, no matter if you're a motorcycle maker, you just want something cool on your bike, you put a wing and it means like, man, I can fly away out of here. Or it means like, Hey, we're victorious. Cause you know, the old Greekies and Romies, those guys used the wings to symbolize victory. So there you go for that. In the 70s, it changed. And uh, this, if you know Kajiva, Kajiva bought Ducati. Um, am I getting ahead of myself? Yeah, Kajiva bought Ducati in the 80s. Um, they changed the logo in the 70s. And I, I think it was just, that must have been the year with the big D. I'm, I, for, I forget. But yeah, it was kind of lame. Um, whatever whatever year that D was, it was just pretty lame. Um, but then in the 80s, Kajiva bought Ducati. Um, and they had like an elephant. Kajiva's, uh, Kajiva's emblem was a big elephant, a big fat elephant. And I think the last iteration of Kajiva was like this cool, like, you know, stylized elephant on there. Uh, in the nineties, they got taken over by, you know, did Kati sort of like Indian in the fifties and, you know, from, well, from the forties to through the sixties, no, Indian ended in 53, right? So I guess from like the 30s to the 50s, how Indian got bought by a bunch of people and then they tried to bring it back and then they did it again in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, Indian got bought and sold and bought and sold. Ducati also got bought and sold a lot. And as we're seeing now, like people are speculating that, you know, everybody and their mom threw a bid in a couple months ago for Ducati. And when they did, um, that's when they started like, kind of change stuff up yeah that's when they got the d all right i just looked at this link on on ducati's website and they have this whole history laid out there so don't listen to me read them uh yeah they did get bought by kajiva in the 80s and they had some bikes with the kajiva elephant on it um and then in the 90s they were bought by tpg and uh they had the uh, that's when they had the big d Called, they called it the coffee bean. I did not know that. Um, and then in 2009, I, at least I know this off the top of my head, in 2009, um, I, they have this new red like shield with the words Ducati in white, and there's a white swash in the middle, which represents a road, like a curvy road, which is like where Ducati's uh, supposedly perform well. Uh, you know, I don't know. They... Uh, do Ducatistas, I mean, they would they would love it no matter what. 
emblem it had on it. But those are the ones that have been on it through the years. Now, Kajiva would be later bought by Harley Davidson and also Frig. I forget who bought Kajiva, but Kajiva started uh, in the 50s. Um, It stands for Castiglione Giovanni Varese because this guy named um, Giovanni Castiglione started it and he lived in Varese and he... I don't even know what he did. He didn't make motorcycles, but his sons, when they took over the company, they got into motorcycles. The Kajiva Elephant, I think, represents strength and um, quality or longevity or something like that. Uh, So that's interesting. Um, And then later, like Kajiva has their own crappy history, you know, of being bought and sold and finally going out of business. Not unlike Buell, not unlike uh, Indian Ducati, like a lot of these people. Um, here's another company that was bought and sold and went out of business. Bultaco. These are one of my favorite logos. The Bultaco logo is so rad. Uh, so Bultaco also has a weird history. I'm not 100% up on it. I'm not going to like go into a bunch of research in the middle of an episode, but uh, I do know that Boltaco kind of lives on in the Northwest in Seattle. I forget if somebody bought all the spares and the NOS, which is new old stock parts, and kind of runs Boltaco out of someplace up in Washington right now. I, I, God, I just, when I was looking around for a Boltaco Astra years ago, um, I just I remember reading about somebody up there that kind of is helping Bull Taco live on. I do know also that Bull Taco came back, uh, was bought like officially, um, and came back last year. I, I mentioned it last year. They had the bike, an electric motorcycle that was rated at 300 horsepower. I think that was possibly or 300 miles an hour. I think that was maybe a typo in the brochure that I have, but uh, they definitely did come back with some electric uh, motorcycles that look a little bit like electric bicycles, kind of like how Zero motorcycles looked like when they very first came out. Um, But the Bull Taco logo is just this circle with this crazy font that looks like total Hong Kong fooey, just fun, fun font. And it just says Bull Taco, and there's a big thumbs up in the middle. And uh, there, it was a Spanish company. the The guy, his name was um, Francesco Bolto. Uh, I believe it was Francesco or Francesco. I forget his name, but it's something like that. But I do know that his last name was Bolto, and his nickname was Paco. And so they just took Bolto and Paco and kind of like truncated them together to make Bull Taco. So basically, uh, not unlike, you know, Kawasaki, Honda, um, Yamaha. I think Yamaha, I think the guy that founded Yamaha, his last name was Yamaha. Um, Suzuki, like stuff like that. All, all those are people's last names. So what the hell? Why not Bull Taco, huh? So Mr. Bolto, he took it over. The, the company, I forget who he bought it from. I think it was, I think Montessa because they were another Spanish like trials bike company. Um, and I think he bought, either bought out Montessa or like took over their operations and, and uh, moved them to his thing in Spain before moving them to Seattle. I swear to God, they're in Seattle now. Um, but anyway, yeah, so he, he built these things, um, built some pretty rad bull tacos. There's a, there's a lot of rad cafe racers out there. They 
have a lot of 125, 250, and 350 engines, two strokes mostly. I don't think I've ever seen a Bull Taco four-stroke that I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, but, dude, they are rad. Uh, we just talked about them on the Loud Pipes podcast. They said, what's your, you know, their 7 plus 1, and the Bull Taco Astro was one of them. And I said, hey, guys, they actually race these still. Um, there's like an Astro Cup. And lo and behold, the very next flat track race after that show, after we did it with those guys, like that weekend – the damn uh, Astro race came on. I forget what round that was. That was uh, not Mechanicsburg, but whatever it was before that. Um, Springfield. Yeah, it was at Springfield. Dude, they had the freaking Astro Cup race after, you know, as like the sideshow. I was like, oh my God, that's what I was talking about, guys. They still have a series for them. Bull Taco makes some rad, rad uh, bikes. Um, so Bull Taco being his name, uh, Paco Bolto kind of smashed together. The thumbs up in the middle was because he had seen people doing that to mean the bikes are ready when they were getting ready to head out of the pits to race. And so Bull Taco was like a racing, <clears throat> excuse me, a racing motorcycle, uh, company. They had a lot of, um, they had a lot of track bikes and a lot of dirt bikes and stuff like that. And they did have mini bikes and all this and that and flat track bikes, but it was like a racing company. They had some road bikes, but, um, you know, they made them for racing and, uh, below it, it says like C E moto or Kemoto. And that basically is, um, abbreviation two and that means uh compania española de motores so c-e-m-o-t-o and uh it just means like spanish motor company basically but dude the bull taco when you're like man thinking of tacos taco tuesday up there in wisconsin uh what better bike to have than a bull taco you know what i mean like ride that to eat tacos that'd be kind of cool um that rounds out my what does your emblem mean what's the symbol of your emblem i hope it was like meaningful and i hope it was helpful there's so many many more uh if you want to know what your emblem means like of course the indian emblem is just like an indian uh which i prefer native american because if you're from india and you're calling it indian motorcycles you're like dude uh, that's totally wrong. Um, but other, other brands like Benelli's had some really cool ones, uh, matchless. They just had a big M and stood for, um, motorcycles, <laughs> um, Norton and triumph. I don't remember if they had crazy. I mean, I remember the script on those, but I don't remember if they had crazy, uh, you know, emblems like the BSA, uh, rifles, you know, standing together, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Speaking of rad emblems, the, uh, unfortunately motorcycles don't have the coolest ones. Cars, uh, actually have some of the coolest ones. And I have to say that, um, <laughs> my favorite one is Alfa Romeo. If you've ever seen an Alfa Romeo, sure you got the horse running on the front of the Porsches and like the German, you know, Leafs or whatever the hell. Sure, you got the bull for Lamborghini and the rearing horse for Ferrari and uh, all that great stuff. But if you look at an Alfa Romeo, dude, you got a dragon eating a dude and a bunch of other weird stuff. Go look at an Alfa Romeo badge, dude. You got uh, 
Yeah, just crazy. A dragon eating a man on your car. Um, and not only that, but another cool one is the Subaru. And I asked my friend from Japan, I said, what does Subaru mean? And he said it means seven stars. And if you count a Subaru logo, there's seven stars on it. So that's what that means. Um, if you have something you want us to look up or you know of a cool emblem or you want to hear the history of your uh, motorcycles, you know, the meaning behind all the imagery that you find on your motorcycle, uh, let us know. Email the show at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. We'll do our best to look it up and go through the annals of history, not the what you think I said, the annals of history. And uh, we will make sure that we, we do our best to research and uh, find some meaning for you in your motorcycle. boy you ever said something wrong at a party looked real dumb in front of a group of friends well now you're in luck the rp enterprises lobotomizer saves you from all those quote sticky situations the lobotomizer is is a discreet self-adhesive latex patch with a scar delicately sculpted into it what you do is after you insert your foot into mouth go into bathroom or some area out of public view insert hand into pocket and you peel off that backing you slap the lobotomizer on your head you come back out you look that person straight in the eye with a dumb look on your face you're probably already going to have one on your face after just being an idiot in front of all these people anyway and they look at you and now who's the jerkwad that's right the lobotomizer saving you from awkward year after year thanks rp enterprises All right, ready to get back to the show, ready to rock and roll. I just horked a little bit of cocaine, wake myself up, uh, give me pain in the brain. <laughs> I'm a poet, I didn't know it. Hey, Joe. Um, all right, well, <laughs> that ended abruptly. Uh, hey, this is a part of the show I'd like to call. People are going to think I'm like this crazy drug-addled maniac, uh, which I'm just a maniac. Um, so uh, here's a little piece I'd like to call Bits and Pieces. And these are little tidbits I'd like to tease out for future episodes, future topics, and uh, kind of just like a news blurb headline. Uh, you know, let's, let's get on with it. You tell me what you think. Um, so Honda has come out with a video uh they're going to be releasing their new bikes on 1024 i didn't pay attention to what it's called i just heard it on the throttled podcast they did a better job of uh verbatim stating what honda called it but i think it's called like your new direction or something like that the important thing here isn't what they call it and what anybody else knows about it it's what 1024 represents 1024 represents the day right before the tokyo motorcycle show dude i knew i did i did i say it did i say they were going to be dropping soon um i didn't maybe i didn't say it on air to you but i know i told somebody it was either at work or when chris was in the studio the other day i said listen man like eikma's coming up uh you know that's a tokyo you know all this stuff's gonna be here pretty soon i think eikma's a little bit later in october 
uh, November. But Tokyo, Tokyo is 1025, baby. So Honda's going to drop this uh, right before the Tokyo Motorcycle Show. That's also where they dropped the Bulldog and some really other cool stuff. And everybody's like, well, what what do you think it's going to be? What do you think it's going to be? Well, let me tell you what it's going to be. I don't particularly have any insider information, but I can guarantee you the Goldwing is going to be in there. The 2018 Goldwing. Hopefully, Takata has sorted out their airbag issues uh, because that was a pretty big feature for that thing to distinguish it from the other shitbox tours out there. Um, Also, what's going to be there? Hopefully, their damn ADV scooter they've been promising us. And did you know we have the NC700X over here, but they got an NC750 in other countries? Probably because some like EPA regulations or some tariffs um, on motor size. God dang AMF days happening all over again. Uh, and hopefully they bring out that sweet ass looking bulldog. Hopefully they drive that NM4 off a cliff because we hate the way that thing looks. Um, but God dang that bulldog little scrambler thing. That would have been rad to bring out about, oh, four years ago, Honda, when the scrambler craze was catching on and you already had it, you idiots. So who knows what they'll be bringing out. Maybe they'll relaunch the Silver Wing as an adventure scooter. Um, I hope to hell they have some e-bike out. They had that self-balancing piece of shit last year or earlier this year they're teasing us with. And like, oh, look what we're designing. A motorcycle that can like balance itself and then like also drive right behind you. And no, it doesn't have a gyroscope. It actually uses like quick inputs off of servos and like algorithms and all sorts of crazy stuff. Not only that, but you've been racing the Mugen Shinden at the Isle of Man. Well, not just the Isle of Man, but in the TT zero or SES or whatever the hell they're calling it year to year. They can't keep a consistent name to keep people interested. Idiots. Um, that's not you, Honda. That's the series. But uh, shit, you've had the Shinden motorcycle out for like a decade now, racing it around all these fast race courses. Why don't you bring some electric bike out you crappy assholes so that's honda for you uh harvey harvey bad irma luckily not so bad uh i was you know i already talked about it once um harvey we gave our support we showed our support it's already been a couple weeks now since that happened and everyone already forgot because that's how we are as a society we don't have an attention span past 10 seconds anymore Tell you what, the bad part of Harvey is happening now. People are getting back to their homes. There's probably going to be mold and mildew growing on the inside of your house. The shit that you can find that wasn't swept away is going to be wrecked unless you got it up into the second story. Um, The mosquitoes are going to be like crazy fucking shit there's people everywhere and now that the storm's passed and it's hot and muggy and mosquitoes are biting everyone all these displaced people are going to be packed together in these places unable to get back to their homes and unable to get any financial aid and probably unable to return to work unless they work on the second floor or above of an office building and so the humanity is really going to start breaking down we saw terrible shit during Katrina I'm hoping we don't see this shit with Harvey we always think of the the worst when it's happening but it's the aftermath that gets you my friend eating the burrito that was good the rotten meat and pubic hair burrito yeah there's a show about that called crazy girls go watch it it's on tv somewhere um it's the aftermath it's the puking up uh everything that's in your stomach after eating something disgusting or rotten that screws you up it's not eating the actual thing so don't forget harvey happened a couple weeks ago yay the motorcycle community got together and we really kicked ass on the amount of support that we showed for everybody that got screwed up 
Irma, still a lot of dead people. Um, not in America, but on the islands that it hit. And it ravaged Cuba, and it still killed some people here. And the floodwaters and all that stuff. I mean, it wasn't as devastating as Harvey because it didn't sit over one town for like 10 days just dumping cubic cubic billion gallons of water, but it was still bad. So everybody that had to rush out of there and everybody that was affected by either of these, my heart goes out to you guys. Don't forget these people, people. Also, if you lived in the affected areas, hey, you're going to want to change your air filter, change your oil, and double check your tire pressure. That stuff will kill you. Next. Yeah, somebody called me out last episode for saying that Cool Beth was like Daryl Strawberry running around with tires chained to him and everything. And he said, Cool Beth was on cocaine? I totally forgot Daryl Strawberry was a huge cokehead. No, Cool Beth's not a huge cokehead. He's just a 40-year-old dude working his ass off to hang with some 23-year-old punks like Brad Baker. And uh, I heard some people talking about his brake rotor glowing. Dude, that's just his style. That ain't nothing new. I can tell you're new to flat track. Uh, Four, way back in episode 60, god dang 30-something weeks ago, uh, the studies showed ridership was down and wires... This, uh, I just had some ideas why data mining is important for figuring out what's trending. They had all these things. Oh, in 2014, the big thing was female ridership was up, right? Was that 2014 or 15? I don't know what it was. I think it was 2015. Uh, they were doing all these studies that female ridership was up 14%. Woo woo. So everybody was getting their jollies off. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, that didn't really go anywhere. The big trend is millennials not buying bikes, not buying cars, not wanting to drive, wanting a free education, blah, 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 blah. But I think it's off. I think all this stuff is off a little bit. I think millennials may be buying more bikes. It's off of Craigslist. Dude, those dudes from Riders on the Norm, Wes, in my opinion, Wes, what year were you born? Because I think you may be a millennial, my friend. Big Scott, I am not so sure. You're probably Gen X, man. But millennials, what they're doing is you guys forgot about the hipster craze that we talked about. And you forgot about what's trendy right now in motorcycles, which is like a resurgence of the 1970s and 80s. You got people listening to Skinner. You got people listening to Metallica. You got people listening to Loverboy. And what are they doing? Buying choppers and old shitty katanas. They're trying to do what Icon and fucking Jesse James does to them. So I think that the uh, the new, I think what, when they data mine stuff and they're saying ridership is down and only old baby boomers, old fat people are that are riding man couches and uh, granny uh, lazy boys on wheels, you know, all these old men and women that are buying motorcycles because they can afford that expensive ass shit. They're not counting these new ones, and they're afraid that ridership's down and the industry's doomed. But, hey, man, we all know the news. If it leads, it bleeds, right? So it's all doom and gloom. But I think if those numbers are reflecting the true market uh, place, they're not counting. Uh, maybe they need to count registrations and then compare that versus bikes sold and say, hey, wait a minute, we got way more registered than new bikes sold. How does that make sense? Yeah, it's called the aftermarket, my friend. Uh, the used market. Uh, so yeah, maybe they should um, count registrations instead of new sales. Uh, number five on my list here, Bimota closing. Yes, Bimota is closing. Apparently, uh, according to some Italian website I read, and I had to translate using the internet, um, Bimota is closing down. 
and there's only like a couple signs left and I don't know they I could not translate it that well I don't know what's happening to Bimota but that's sad um, another thing I wanted to talk about was the Ducati Straydale <laughs> Such a dick. Stradale, their V4 engine, everybody's talking about it right now. We'll give it time to uh, ferment and boil in the uh, motorcycle podcast community right now, and then we'll talk about it. I want to I talk about this motor with Chris a little bit when he's back on the show, so I don't want to sit here and blab about it myself. And also, last on my list, the Z900, the retro bike. Z900 RS coming out from Kawasaki. Look for that in the near future, probably on 1025 when Honda drops their Goldwing, because um, that is the Tokyo Motorcycle Show. It was the retro that we were promised before the Z900 even came out. I was like so stoked to have a supercharged retro bike uh, after they were talking about the Z900 is going to be using a tiny H2R motor. Well, not tiny. The H2R is only 999cc too, but uh, basically they were saying that the uh, the R9, the, the, the Z900 RS retro bike is going to be supercharged based off the uh, the H2, and it's going to be like this totally cool retro bike. Well, now we actually get to see it, and I was pumped when it was um, teased like last year as a concept. Everything That's how everything happens. A year later is when you get it. Come on, Honda. Where's my bulldog? Um, and that's it for bits and pieces. Let's uh, move on. Hey, everybody. Racing recap. Uh, let's get into some of this. Um, flat trackage. We didn't, I don't even think we talked about it last week. But yeah, we did, but that's okay. Let's talk about it some more this week. Uh, so we just had the Mechanicburg, Pennsylvania, uh, seven fourteenths of a mile. Huh? You like them measurements there? Why don't you go race the seven fourteenths? It's called a half mile, sucker. Um, yeah, so I was doing some number crunching and I really don't really care about what's, uh, you know, what the results were in this and that texture, of course, did not even make the main again. And last week, Chris and I talked about that, how she's like first or 15th and to be exact, she is first or fifth. And I did a little numbers running here. Let's talk about the top three real quick, since that's what matters right now in this final sprint in the AFT twin uh, AFT singles. So in first place, we knew it. We knew it after uh, Springfield when she didn't make the main there that she was not going to be in the top anymore. When you when you screw up the Peoria TT, I mean, she hasn't done any TT. She missed the Buffalo Chip. Then she plays second at Black Hills. She missed the Peoria. I mean, you can't do that. You can't miss like race back to back to back. But then when you don't make the main at uh, the Illinois State Fairgrounds, you know what I mean? Like that's a huge, the Springfield mile, you can't not make that. And, and of course, ST, it was a short track for them. But still, you can't not make Springfield. That's a huge, huge uh, part of the season. And then the Williams Grove, I mean, you can't. That's the Mechanicsburg or whatever they call it, Mechanicsville, Mechanicston. Um, you know, that's Mechanicsburg half mile. You can't screw up that. You know what I mean? Like, dude, these half miles, you should be kicking ass, kid. What happened? So right after spring, uh, after she missed Peoria, she fell out at Springfield and Colby Carlisle edged her out in the points. And then when she failed to make the main, also at Williams Grove, that's three races in a row that she hasn't made the main. 
So basically, Texture has raced, but not placed since Peoria. Um, and so her last one was the Black Hills Speedway coming in second there in Sturgis. Um, so basically, uh, let's let's quit rambling about this. Let's get on to the points. Uh, Shayna is in third place with 201 points. Brandon Price is in second with 218 points. And Colby Carlisle is in first with 230 points. Mr. Consistency. Uh, I added up their, uh, I averaged actually their their wins here. And here's how it came out. Uh, Brandon Price, there's a lot of guys um, that tied with Brandon Price, but Brandon Price's average is like seven and a half. And if you look at his stuff, has he podiumed? Yeah, he podiumed a few times, came in first twice, and then he's podiumed one, two other times. Um, and then, But then he's come in like eighth and sixth and fifth and tenth and thirteenth and fourteenth, way worse than Shayna Texter. Well, not way worse because at least he placed and she didn't, even, she didn't even make the main. But um, when you add up all of his, he comes in roughly – like seven and a half place. And then behind them from like number four down, Ben Lau, Kevin Stolings, Wyatt Anderson, Cameron Smith. God, Cameron Smith, I thought would be doing way better. Jesse Janish. These are the guys that uh, also didn't do very well. Tristan Avery, I'm surprised, didn't do very well. Uh, but I think he did have an injury. Um, and Dan Bromley, a guy we've heard a lot, but didn't even race the first half of the season. Like he didn't even race till the 10th or didn't make the mains at least until the 10th round. Um, I don't, I forget if he raced or not, but, uh, yeah, all these guys are coming in right around seventh place and then it starts to trickle up when I average Colby Carlisle, what does he come in? He comes in like fifth place. His averages are like five or 5.5, something like that. 5.2. So he's coming in like, let's just say fifth place. And then Shayna texture when she finishes, let me see how many races she's missed. One, two, three, four, five, six race races that she's missed um, out of 18. Kid, that ain't good. That's a third. Um, right? Is my math good? Yeah, that's a third. Uh, you can't miss a third of your races. But in the in the rest of them that she has placed, her average is like 3.5. So she's a third placer. Um, given her four podiums, I mean, uh, four firsts and a lot of podiums, she, you know, her average is uh, third place. So here's what here's what's going to happen. Um, I'm not 100% sure Brandon Price is going to do very well at Texas or out here at Paris. I think there are just two half miles left. I don't think there's any miles. Um, and, you know, Brandon Price's did pretty good at uh, the short track at, at um, Springfield. He got seventh. At the Mechanicsburg, he got fourth. Uh, the Black Hills Speedway, which was a half mile, he he came in first. Um, Calistoga, that was a mile, right? Yeah, the Calistoga Mile, he came in second. So he's good at these long and, and halfway. You know, the Buffalo Chip did not come in so great. Tenth, uh, Peoria, he came in 13th. So he's not a TT guy either. He's similar to Shayna Texter in the fact that he doesn't do well uh, when on certain tracks where she does well. And when he came in first, she came in second both times. So they're pretty on par with each other. Uh, they're 17 points apart. You get 17 points for third place, if I'm not mistaken. First place gets 25. Second gets 20. Third gets 
17, and then I think they're broken apart from there by threes. So 14, 11, so on down. Um, and so here's here's what's going to happen. Colby Carlisle, all like he's a, his average. I said is a fifth place. All he needs to do is get two fifth places here at the next two races, and he takes away the championship. Uh, I, I added the points, and Shayna Texter would have to win to get 251 points. Colby Carlisle, uh, if he comes in second both races, I think it was. I did the math on this, and I should have wrote it down. He gets, oh no, if he comes in third, I think it was, he gets 250 two points so um you know all he all he has to do is come in third i think it was fifth why am i why am i thinking third i think all he had to do was come in fifth he only needs 20 points that's 11 points yeah all he would have to do was come in like fourth or fifth and uh he takes it by by one point and that's what his average is his average is a fifth place dude brandon price he's uh what he's like 17 points out of the lead off of um off of Colby Carlisle so it, it, you know he would have to place i don't know him and Colby could fight for it there in the end swap back and forth but still he's a seventh place finisher dude and he did he came in seventh on uh, at Springfield came in fourth at Mechanicsburg um came in eighth at rolling wheels um 10th at the buffalo chip i just i don't see him coming in better than seventh i see if these people finish where they average they're hosed you know what i mean and Shayna's really she's out of it now i mean colby carlisle has it if if he comes in um at his average he's got it by one point and if he doesn't then basically um I mean, Shane is going to have to win both of them and Colby's going to have to do really bad just for her to pass him, you know, just for her to pass uh, the points that she's out right now. She's because she's down 29 points. That's a uh, two two first places, girl, that you're going to have to get. So here's my predictions is that they're going to finish. Uh, Brandon Price is going to finish down where he uh, basically where his average is. He's going to get a couple of seventh place finishes. He'll, you know, he's been surprising. He, he Not like he hasn't won a couple, but he's either done first or worst. So, uh, but Shayna, sort of the same thing. She's Her worst is sixth place, though. You know, like she hasn't done too bad, but uh, that's when she made the race. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see. I guess if she doesn't make any races, uh, if she doesn't make the mains again for the last two, damn, she's going to... Um, slip down and maybe Cameron Smith can pass her. He's only got 144 points, but uh, yeah, like it's, it's a pretty far stretch. Kevin Stallings actually has 175. He's within striking distance. If he can get like a second, what's his best finish? He podium, he got first at Mechanicsburg. Um, and then, yeah, he's got, he's like a first or 15th dude. So he's kind of bad right now, but man, wouldn't it be cool to see like him shoot up to third where Shayna is right now. But yeah, she went to from first, uh, out within just like the last, uh, three rounds, man. So it's, it's kind of sad seeing that happen, but she is dating Briar Bauman. So it's not like, uh, she can't go cry on a champion's shoulders. Um, in the AFT, uh, uh, twins we know jared meese uh took the title so he just has to cruise you know he can't lose um there's 18 races he won nine of them and nobody else uh you know 
he's obviously got it. Nobody can win more than nine, right? So uh, he clinched the title for the Rogers Racing Indian, not the uh, Allstate-backed Indian that Brad Baker and uh, Brian Smith are racing for. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting that he's wrapped it up this early. Last year, I think it came down to the wire for Brian Smith. The year before that, I believe Meese won, right? Yeah, I think he was a 2015 champ. Kind of came down to the wire for him there, too. 2014, who won? It was either, was it Meese or Brad Baker that won in 2014? It was one of those fools. And then I think before that was like Kyle Johnson, or not Kyle Johnson, um, Jake Johnson or something like that. Like, I forget going back. My memory's so terrible. But uh, but anyway, that's what's going to happen. Jared's already clinched it, so it'll just be cool to see who takes it in these last ones. Uh, Brian Smith had it last year at uh, when they were racing around um, Santa Rosa, and dude, Brad Baker hauled ass and went a 14-second lead. So it was kind of cool watching that race, watching Brad give it his all in the last race, even though Brian only had to finish second or whatever it was, and he certainly did. Him and Meese fought all the way around to the last lap. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of cool. So this year, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. All these guys trying to do, uh, get in some good standings, even though Meese has already clinched it for the Twins. Um, that is basically the recap of this week's racing and we're going to close out the show. We're getting here. Uh, we're getting into the minute 39 mark. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to bust out of here. Uh, Instagram wheel of death. I'd like to mention, uh, the flying Dutchman code dude. Flying Dutchman does some pretty rad stuff out of his shop and, uh, is inspiring to me to get back, uh, into my shop and do some more metal whapping and metal burning and all the cranking and all the stuff that we do, even though I'm not very good at it. Uh, Meg's brap, dude, Meg's underscore brap, man, this girl, not only is she ripped, like, dude, she's like immaculate physique uh she's funny as hell and uh she reminds me of myself about 10 years ago and also hell of a freaking rider and uh that i already mentioned funny and good writer and uh good instagram uh the last one i'd like to mention i uh, don't have on here but is rusty butcher and, of course, we always talk about Rusty Butcher. Rusty Butcher being one of the uh, faces of SoCal Hooligan Racing in SoCal Flat Track. But also, Rusty Butcher got his little devil food truck up. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'll be cool to see him next year with that thing. What? Like three weeks later, he's selling dirty hot dogs to the public? I can't believe this guy. He's worse than Rob Deirdrek. He just gets an idea and it just happens. What the f- How does this happen? How does he do it? Does he do it? Well, that's our show. I'd like to sign off uh, for Chris. Thanks, dudes. It's I see you next. <laughs> that's not Chris. That's a terrible Chris. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to sign off for, uh, from Creative Writing. Uh, I'm your host, Junkie Turdman, and uh, Chris couldn't be here with us this week, but we'll be hearing from him next week. Remember, SoCal Hooligan Shootout. It's going to be uh, Santa Maria the 23rd. You're going to hear us pumping it like crazy next week. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on this week. We have uh, main one happening is the LA Mods versus Rockers. And if you're hearing this, this is going to be Friday when this goes out. You're going to be hearing me. There's actually a meetup. Um, go on Facebook and look it up. The Cretans, 25 years. All right. Peace out. 
Grandpa Pithesseration. Whoops, I messed that word up. Don't forget, Spooky Spokes, we already got our first blood. Send your submissions to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Um. Oh, fuck. 